As we get into today's episode, I just want to take a second and remind you that there's a ton of extra content available to the members of Film and Whiskey Nation who support us through our Patreon. Check us out on patreon.com slash filmwhiskey. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome into the Film and Whiskey Podcast. I'm Bob Book. I'm Brad G. And we're coming at you with another special bonus episode. Bonus episode. I'm already drinking, Brad. A season seven bonus episode. That's what I'm saying. I'm so excited to get into this episode that I'm starting early here. Cheers to you, my friend. Cheers to you, sir. Oh, I can't wait. Because today, we are officially kicking off season seven of Film and Whiskey. Bum-ba-da-bum. Can you believe it, man? Seven seasons already? Uh, Yes, we're awesome, Bob. (laughs) We... We operate like the show Survivor, where there's like, you know, we've only actually been doing this for four years, but we're in season seven now. Yeah. I mean, two two seasons a year, approximately. We're just blasting on through. I'll take it. Uh, eventually, we'll be just like Jeff Probst in season 40, 50. <laughs> yeah. And earning like $10 million yeah. per season Pe- to do that. People you know? yearly will be like, when when's Bob and Brad going to retire? Who's going to take over the reins? Listen, I don't know. The Patreon is almost at $10 million per year. So we, we got to yeah. really, you know, we'll do a call to action and get us up over the $10 million hump here. <laughs> So here's what we're going to do today. We are going to walk through season seven and reveal the list of movies that we're reviewing this year, this season, rather, since we know we do two a year. (laughs) We're not going to reveal our whiskeys for this season. I want that to be a little bit of a surprise. And also, like, once in a while, a new whiskey comes out. We have to work into the schedule. So I don't want to get people really excited for a whiskey and then pull it out from under them. It's like when I was a camp counselor and... You can't tell the kids what you're going to do, because if they don't know that you were supposed to go play dodgeball out in the field, (laughs) then they can't be upset when it gets canceled. Absolutely. So this is the equivalent of that. And while we're doing it, we are going to be drinking two whiskeys from our friends at Green River Distillery in Owensboro, Kentucky. They just released their uh, their new weeded bourbon to go along with their signature bourbon. I am, and it smells I'm very incredible. Excited. Yeah, dude, I'm I'm so pumped to drink it today. We're going to start with their uh, flagship product, but uh, that weeded is coming down the pike, Bob. <laughs> well, let's jump into this original here. The Green River Bourbon, which has been on shelves for uh, a little over a year now, and it is in its price point. People rave about it. Like I've seen so many good things. It initially only launched, I think, in Kentucky or I should say. Ohio took a while to get it on the shelf. And then I finally started seeing it trickle into Ohio. I think MSRP on this is only $35, Brad. So I'm really excited to dive into this 90 proof bourbon. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's a five year bourbon, although it's non age stated on the bottle that we have. I don't know what else to say, man. Let's dive into it. What are you picking up on the nose here? This one is a nice 90 proof. It is it is not harsh in any way. There's a little bit of a funkiness to this on the nose that I'm really digging right now. Mm-hmm. 
I got a lot of pear on this and then I'm getting like yep. a, almost like a marshmallow at the end. Like there's almost like that, you know, like the powderiness of a marshmallow. That's what's coming out on mm-hmm. this for me. I, I think that's mm-hmm. what you're talking about when you say funk. It's almost like a, like a confectioner sugar or something. <laughs> marshmallow powder. Mar- marshmallow funk. New <laughs> band name, I call it. Yeah, I, I really like the pear note, Bob. I, I think that it has a fruitiness to it. But it's not a, a sweet fruit. It's a it's a really nice, layered, savory pear type of feel. Yeah, and that really carries over into the flavor here, the palate, because this is a high rye bourbon. And I think you can really tell. I will say that as soon as you swallow, I get like an almost artificial cinnamon, like a blast of hmm. uh, you ever have hot tamales? It reminds me of hot tamales. I, There's like I hate cin- I, dude. I'm telling oh. you, not a fan of those, but. It has like not just cinnamon spice, but cinnamon sugar on it. Yeah. I think that the pear continues on through. It almost turns into like a honey, honeysuckle type of feel Mm -hmm. and gets almost melony at the end for me. But there's a lot of caramel and the marshmallow turns into almost like a toasted marshmallow Mm -hmm. feel for me on the palate. And I, I like it a lot. I do too. All right, man. So we're off to a pretty good start here with Green River, but it's time for us to dive into our season seven lineup. And we're kicking things off with someone who is kind of surprisingly, I would say, one of the well, most- I was going to say, do you, do you want to explain kind of the process of season six yeah, and how we're yeah, carrying yeah. it over into season seven? Great point, Bradley. This is why we keep I, you around. Just, you know, just saying. So in season six, we broke it down by directors. We did small mini series where each film was directed by the same director. So we did like four movies by Scorsese, four movies by Spielberg, and then three movies for a bunch of other people. We're kind of carrying that over into this new season because we wanted to knock out quite a few more classic movies. The last two seasons have really skewed uh, more modern. I would, I guess, modern, you know, contemporary. Um, And so we want to go back to classic Hollywood because as I look at a list like the American Film Institute's Top 100, We've still got a lot of movies to watch off of that list, man. And so yeah, what a better few. way to knock some of those out, especially I mean, you'll see when you, we reveal the list here. So many of them are directed by the same people. We might as well just group them all together and, and do them now. Yeah. Last season, the most movies we gave a director was four. Mm-hmm. And I think we only did that for Spielberg and Cameron. Yeah. Yeah. And this season... We have two directors with five movies, Bob. We sure do. Brad, I already ran the numbers on this season's movies, and the average length of a movie this season is 122 minutes. So we've hit the two-hour mark. Yeah. Uh, The funny thing is there's a lot of movies that are like 80 minutes long, and then they're balanced out by four-hour epics. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) The average yeah. the average year of release for our movies this year is 1966. So that tells you how far back in time we're going with some of these movies. Yeah, honestly, Bob, uh, this is we're just making this up as we go, as always. Truly, uh, we need to release these stats for every season. I think we should. Average, you know, year I didn't release, take the time to like go back time. and look at last season to compare. But what do you have to do with your time, Bob? Come on, that's that's true. All right, so. Let's jump into our first director of season seven. And it is somebody that, as I was saying, is kind of surprisingly one of the most popular directors of the last half century. And that's Clint Eastwood. Yeah, you would never guess it. But box office and like 
like he gets people talking about his movies. Yeah. I, I don't know how he does it, but there's something about the films that he creates that people enjoy and yep. they're interested in. And and they're just movies that you want to talk about. I think that we've only done one Clint Eastwood directed film so far, and that's Million Dollar Baby. We've had a, at least one other Clint Eastwood movie, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, which right. he obviously did not direct. So we're going to look at his most popular movies, except for one, because I want to save that one for another time. So his most famous movie, his most box office popular movie is American Sniper. That is not on our list this year. I want to build up to American Sniper. I think that will be a barn burner of a conversation when we get around to it, Brad. <laughs> but this season, we are kicking things off with his best picture winning Unforgiven, the 1992 film uh, and Oscars for everyone with Unforgiven. Yeah. The movie that kind of redefined and reinvigorated the Western genre in America. And this was a movie that you just told me the other day you had never even heard of, Brad. Yeah, you'll have to forgive me. I, I had not heard of that film. Uh, uh, you are you are unforgiven. 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 Does, does that mean that you forgave me and now you're taking it away? That's de forgiven. Yeah. De forgiven. <laughs> got it. Got it. Got it. Just oh, deconstructing man. my forgiveness right now, Bob. Just bear with me. Yeah. So after we're done with the just like, as you said, just incredible film, won all the Oscars. How many Oscars has uh, has um, he won for Best Picture? Is it two or three? Two. This and Million Dollar Baby. And Million Dollar. Okay, yeah. I didn't know if he he had another one. It it weirdly wouldn't surprise me. I feel like he's angry enough to just take home as many Best Pictures yeah. as he yeah, wants for sure. <laughs> After Unforgiven, we will be jumping into Mystic River, a movie <laughs> I have heard of, but once again, I have literally zero clue what this movie is about. Mystic River's my favorite Clint Eastwood movie that he's directed. Mm. Um, it comes out the year before Million Dollar Baby, so it loses to Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King for Best Picture. Or I think it Let's probably go. would have won. That, it's a really great movie. Sean Penn, Tim Robbins, Kevin Bacon, Lawrence Fishburne. It's, a, it's just a really, really good movie, man. It's based on yeah. a novel by Dennis Lehane. This will be our, I think, third movie uh, from Dennis Lehane after... Gone Baby Gone and Shutter Island. So, yeah, we're diving into. Oh, man. Yeah, dude, we're diving into the hardcore Boston scene once again. I was going to say Gone Baby Gone might be one of my favorite movies that I'll just never watch again. I, <laughs> I, I can't handle it. And it's like a nine and a half out of ten. Well, I've got one for you, and it's called Mystic River. <laughs> awesome. Uh Honestly, slightly less ridiculous than that, I think, hopefully, will be Gran Torino, the most racist movie to come out. I was going to say, slightly more ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> we will have a special guest that week. And Brad, I think that I, you know, I think I want to keep the special guests, uh, play them close to the chest a little bit here. Dun, because dun, dun. we're going to have some pretty, pretty big name film critics coming on the show this year to walk through some of these films with us. And our first guest of the season has signed up to talk about Gran Torino. So you, you're going to want to join us for that conversation. And then what we're going to do this season that we did last season just for our Patreon patrons is at the end of every miniseries, we're going to have a bonus episode where in addition to whatever else the bonus content is for that day, we're going to score out the director that we have just watched their films 
on five metrics and kind of determine by point value, like which director we liked the best by the end of this season. So we're going to score out Clint Eastwood. And and I think that is going to kick things off in a really interesting way, because after Clint Eastwood, Brad, we're moving back in time to one of my all time favorite directors, and that's Billy Wilder. Yeah. And Billy Wilder is like a, a really fascinating director for me because he's, he's one of those people that I've I've heard about all the time. I've heard about Sunset Boulevard. I've seen Sabrina as a kid, and I loved that movie. Didn't even know it was a Billy Wilder. And then we jumped into Some Like It, Some Like It Hot, which is still, I think, one of the greatest comedies ever created. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we jump into The Apartment, one of the darkest dramedies, yeah. I would say, ever created. I love me some Billy Wilder so far, so to to have him for two movies that I've never seen. Uh, I can I say them now, Bob? Oh, please. Yeah. So we're doing Sunset Boulevard, Stalag, 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 Stalag. It's German. Stalag, Stalag seventeen. Uh, and Sabrina. Yeah, a we're... very non-German, non-prisoner of war camp <laughs> movie. You know, the crazy thing is with Billy Wilder. There's another, you know, three or four movies I could have put in here. He actually won Best Picture in 1945 for a movie called The Lost Weekend, which is like not really highly regarded anymore. It's kind of, I don't want to say fallen out of fashion, but it's just not as talked about as his other big movies. And so I didn't put The Lost Weekend in here because I was like, we could talk about Sabrina. We could go back yeah. to the world of Humphrey Bogart and bring Audrey yeah. Hepburn into things. So, you know. Good old humpbo. Yeah, I uh, all I'm going to assume is that The Lost Weekend is the first version of Weekend at Bernie's. I'm just, no, not I'm at all. Just going to assume you, that. Look at look it up when we get off of this, and you're going to feel real bad that you said that. <laughs> all right. So after Billy Wilder, and after we score him out, we're going to jump into probably the most recent, the most contemporary director that we're doing, and that's Catherine Bigelow, who has you know been nominated for Academy Awards. I think uh, did she win for the Hurt Locker? I believe she did win Best Director yeah. for the Hurt Locker, which is the first movie in her series that we're going to look at. We're going to look at what I think is her masterpiece from 2012, Zero Dark Thirty. And then we're jumping way back into the 1990s with her for one of her first films, uh, the iconic Point Break, which, fun fact, Brad, is a movie that I have never seen. Oh, would you say that there's at least one movie like that a season now? I try I to work like the, at least one in. You I know? feel like the first few years uh, or seasons of the podcast, excuse me. I don't think that you had any almost any movies that you hadn't seen, but it feels like the last few seasons I got charade in there in season did. five. Yep. Uh, last season, it was less the Mohicans. Mm-hmm. And this year it's uh, I am truly broadening my horizons here. Look at you go, Bob. <laughs> All right. I mean, so at this point, the, there's not many horizons left for you. No, no, no. You, you've discovered the known world. There is a horizon <laughs> left for both you and this podcast, though, Brad, and it happens to coincide with our next director. We're jumping all the way back into the 1920s and 30s and I guess early 40s into the world of silent film. We have never done a silent movie on this podcast. Uh, I don't know if you guys realize this, but when you are in audio only format, talking about silent film is not super conducive to that. Like we can't. We're play actually any... good. We're actually going to mimic it. We're just going <laughs> to release gonna, like mime the whole thing. We uh, we can't play clips from it, you know, but we're going to be talking about four movies from 
one of the most highly regarded directors of all time, Charlie Chaplin. And if I'm being honest with you, Brad, uh, two of these movies are probably like in my top 20 films ever. Really? I'm I'm really excited. Have you ever watched a Chaplin movie? I have seen bits and pieces of like modern times. Mm -hmm. um, I know for a fact that in, in high school we watched some of The Great Dictator. Okay. But that's about it. May, maybe some of City Lights. I'm honestly not sure. I, I know that Charlie. Wait. I, you know, I've actually seen some of the Marx Brothers stuff when I was growing up as well. Okay. And I know they were kind of similar era. But yeah. And the it, Marx man. Brothers are much more like dialogue driven, like tons of one liners in the Marx Brothers, whereas Chaplin, and we'll talk about this when we get into him, but he hung on to the pantomime and the silent film aspects way after sound was introduced into film. So he was like purposely doing a throwback. Uh, yeah. and, and again, we'll get into talking about it, but we're we're dealing with his four most acclaimed, most beloved films, City Lights, The Great Dictator, Modern Times, and The Gold Rush. I might be more excited for this set of four movies than for any other movies this season, Brad. Not, not Akiru? Uh, don't, don't get me started on Akiru. We'll, we'll come back and talk about Akiru <laughs> shortly here. But I love me some Charlie Chaplin. I feel like when I think about Charlie Chaplin, I think about animated films from like the 40s, may, mm -hmm. maybe 50s of like the they're like. You know what I mean? Like they're they're throwing their hands up big, wide eyed. Yeah. Like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> that's just what I think of when I think of Charlie Chaplin. The cool thing about watching Chaplin, though, is. I don't know, man, like I've been really dealing with the fact that like we're in our 30s now lately, <laughs> but <laughs> existential crisis for Bob, everybody. I was watching a uh, a short YouTube clip from I think it was like CBS Saturday morning. I posted it on our discord and it was about film restoration and the work that Scorsese has done in that capacity. And they were showing a restored uh, a clip from a restored version of East of Eden. And like, dude, seeing, that was incredible. Seeing some of these movies get restored to the most pristine looking version of that movie. I think like our idea as like children of the 90s of the 50s, the 60s, the 70s is so heavily influenced by film stock that has degraded over the years. And so when we yeah. think of like the 70s, we think of like really grainy Vietnam footage. And yeah. then you see things from literally a hundred years ago that Charlie Chaplin made that have been restored to the most like pristine 4K Mm -hmm. And you you can see the pores on people's faces and stuff. And it really just it, it screws with your mind a little bit because you realize how not very long ago, 80, 90, 100 years ago was and how like we all we still talk pretty much the same as people did back then, no matter how much we want to pretend like we didn't. And comedy is still comedy. It's like people falling over was funny 100 years ago and it's funny now. And when you watch Chaplin. I think all those preconceived notions about like, oh, this is going to be super exaggerated and blah, blah, blah. They go out the window because the dude is just a master filmmaker and he knows how to tug on your heartstrings as well as how to make you laugh. Yeah. What you're saying honestly reminds me of a great Calvin and Hobbes strip where it, Calvin is asking his dad like about color TV and all this stuff. And his dad's like, well, the entire world was black and white until like the late 30s, early 40s. And. As things slowly started coming about, it was a real big change for the world. <laughs> All right, Brad, why don't you introduce our next director, and then we'll dive into this weeded bourbon. Boom! We're talking Christopher Nolan, everybody. 
How Actually, many times just, can we play that soundbite in, in those three weeks with Christopher Nolan? At least 300. Yeah. Like, just over and over and over again. I don't know if we're reviewing Christopher Nolan as much as we're reviewing Hans Zimmer, but, you know, whatever. It's all good. So we're looking at probably Nolan's three most popular films that we have not done yet. So we've done The Dark Knight. We've done Inception. We've done Interstellar. Mm-hmm. Have we done any? Is there another? Was it just those three so far? I think it, I think it's just those three. And honestly, uh, one of my best friends, Stephen, has been like hounding me to watch the first film that we're going to be doing for years now. Yeah. So I am so excited to watch Memento. It's a lot of people's favorite Nolan film. I haven't watched it in like 15 years, probably. Which basically means you haven't ever watched it. <laughs> I think it was in high school when I watched this movie. So I had like... <laughs> Literally, I'm excited to go back and watch it again, but I remember being kind of iffy on it. And this is like going to be a theme with some of these Nolan movies because you guys know how I am. When I love a Nolan movie, it means that it works perfectly for me. Like yeah. see Inception. When I watch a movie like Memento or the the following film, The Prestige, I remember not being blown away with The Prestige the way a lot oh. of people were. And we're going to have another special guest on that episode. And I'm so happy that we are because... The two of you can come at me for my horrible takes on the prestige. I'm hoping that my my tune changes a little bit. But I remember that being one of those movies of Nolan's where I felt so much like, okay, you're trying really hard to be super clever with the structure and with the payoff here. And I feel how much you're trying. And I'm hoping that it Mm. doesn't feel that way this time. But that's how I remember it, at least. Yeah. I mean, if I'm being honest, those are the things I've heard about the third film which is Dunkirk. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like a lot of people have said that if there's a if there's a Nolan film that didn't work for them, it's that one. Yeah. So there you go. There's our three Nolan films. <laughs> Movies that may or may not work for you. We are not Nolan fanboys. <laughs> so we're Nolan fans. Yeah, 100%. I, I think Nolan is a fascinating filmmaker. Go back and listen to our uh, Interstellar episode. Yep. Like, I think the dude shoots for the moon mm-hmm. if you can allow me that uh <laughs> space reference I, I i think that he tries to knock it out of the park every single time and he hits the ball somewhere at the very least <laughs> well, well on that note let's dive into the second green river i have it poured out in front of me brad what do you say yeah let's get to it when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So diving right in immediately on the nose is like a million times better than the regular bourbon was. And I I liked the regular <laughs> bourbon, but you guys already know weeded bourbon is where my heart lives. And like I get cherry, I get strawberry, I get wheat, I get like it's just it's like a strawberry shortcake in a glass. And I really, really love this whiskey, man. It's I will say the more we the the longer we do this, Bob you know, into our 30s. Did we start this when we were in our 20s? Uh, yeah, we sure did. Oh, my goodness, yep. Bob. Yep. That's crazy. The longer we do this, 
the more I just want to like taste raw wheat and and just ask it like this inanimate object. <laughs> Why do you taste like strawberries? Why yeah. do you taste like cherry? Yep. Like, how does that happen? I like I don't think any scientist will ever be able to explain it to me like the third grader I am. How wheat can turn into cherry and strawberry and caramel and and all these incredible flavors. I don't understand it, but I'm I'm here for it. I'll drink yeah. it. So again, this is clocking it at 90 proof. It's only 21% wheat in the mash bill, 9% malted barley, and then the other 70% obviously corn. I'm really into this, man. I, I gave you my nosing notes. I'm going to go ahead and take a sip of it. I don't know if you've had a sip yet, but I'm diving yeah, in. I I, I've had a few sips already. I think that this palette is just a lot more expressive and that like the last few sips I had of their flagship bourbon, which is really good. The, the ethanol was coming through. Mm. This weeded bourbon, there's none of that. It is all like a cherry cordial with a little bit of dark chocolate. There's some strawberry shortcake going on with a genuine like yeah, so like you, you know the the strawberry shortcakes, like the actual cake yeah. that you can buy at the store. That's yeah, like processed those almost, little shells, almost angel food cakey. Mm -hmm. I'm getting that on this just yep. a little bit, like a sweet processed angel food cake kind of feel to <laughs> it. It's like everything about my poor childhood. Yeah, I really like this a lot. Uh, it it's not as sweet. Or as soft on the palate as some weeded bourbons that we've had. But it definitely, like, it manifests differently. It's This is not Rebel Yell, which you guys know is, like, my favorite. But that tips way more caramel than this does. This stays in a very bright place. Light. Light, light and bright. And yeah. I think this is, like, this is a summertime, you know, you're eating on your deck. You've, you've had a nice Dude. steak. Like, this is the kind of thing that it would go with a strawberry shortcake. It would also go with, like, a salad that has, you know strawberries and feta and stuff sliced into it yeah this is like the line and kugels summer shandy of the whiskey world of the whiskey world i yeah. like this a lot man dude this is incredible i i think that your notes of like light bright airy like this might sound weird but like cheery like yes. it's it's just a really refreshing whiskey that you're right like other weeded bourbons definitely swing into that say uh not savory but like richness yeah this that is more this is more crisp crisp airy light yeah. i green river yeah Come on. friend Can of show aaron harris working there by the way i know congratulations to aaron on the new gig and uh you know keep churning this stuff out because it's really freaking good yes all right brad let's reveal the rest of our movies for season seven what do you say yeah so Bob, I, I will say, I am so excited for our next director. A, because it's our first grouping of foreign films we've ever watched on the podcast. Mm -hmm. B, we have five of them coming your way. I don't know if anybody's going to listen to the episodes, but that's okay. Yeah. We're not doing this for other people, Bob. We're doing it for you and me. <laughs> All right. Uh, but we are doing it for you guys. So go subscribe to our Patreon. Yep. Uh, we are going to be reviewing Akira Kurosawa. I cannot wait. I have already been like having the internal like monologue dialogue with myself about the use of the term foreign film 
because it's that's a that's a term that's really outdated now. Like even at the Oscars, they call it best international feature now instead of best foreign film. I understand the impetus behind it. Like the language that they are speaking is Japanese, which is foreign to my ears, but it's yes. not foreign to other people's ears. So like I understand what we're saying it, is this is our is, first. Go ahead. Go ahead. It is foreign to more people's ears than not that listen to this show. That's for sure. Yeah. But it's our first group of foreign language films of non-English speaking films. And we are kind of like diving right in because Kurosawa is one of those directors that, you know, outside of America, you know, within America. But you're not going to see his movies on the American Film Institute list, obviously. But as soon as you step outside into lists of like world cinema, you're going to see like eight, nine, ten Kurosawa films on that list. And so it was even really hard, Brad, for me to narrow this down to five. But we're giving Kurosawa more films than we gave Spielberg and Scorsese last year. Yeah. And that's because he's so important. And I want us to go ahead and dedicate like a full month to the guy. So we're starting with the movie that really put him on the map in America. And that's Rashomon, a film that we just talked about with our friend Jay Arisman down at New Riff a couple weeks ago. Yeah, Jay is a Kurosawa just connoisseur. Mm-hmm. He, he knows everything there is to know. I'm, I'm really excited for Rashomon because I remember early on, I was telling you, I was like, man, I just want to watch Seven Samurai. Like, I've never seen it. And you were like, bro, you need to just, you know, take a step back. Yep. And watch Rashomon first. Yep. So. So, like, here's what I'll say. There's, there's a couple Kurosawa movies that I left off of our list for this season that fall it's kind of like Scorsese with the gangster movie where he he's not the guy that just makes gangster movies but you could make a group of like just the Scorsese gangster movies right it's the same with Kurosawa you could make just samurai movies with him he's a there's a really famous movie called Yojimbo uh which became the basis for the first film in the man with no name trilogy with Clint Eastwood uh a fistful of dollars okay. there is um you know seven samurai gets adapted into uh, The Magnificent Seven in America. So, like, all of his samurai movies are really, really influential, but the guy was making movies in a multitude of genres, and I wanted to represent that here. So, after Rashomon, we're looking at Seven Samurai, and then we're going to jump into a... Famously a samurai movie. Famously seven times over a samurai movie. (laughs) And then we're going to jump into a movie that he made in the early 1950s called Ikiru, uh, which roughly translates to to live. And this is a this is a really fascinating movie because it's post-war Japan. You know, it's really dealing with uh, uh, issues of like aging and leaving a legacy and the westernization and the modernization of Japan that they were kind of pushing back against. They just remade this movie in Great Britain last year as a movie called Living starring Bill Nighy. Uh, and oh, he was nominated for on. an Oscar for it. And so we're going to do something fun when we score out the Kurosawa films, we're also going to go ahead and watch that new remake of Ikiru and give our thoughts comparing and contrasting. Because we just have all the time in the world. Why not? We're already doing five Kurosawa movies. Why not do a sixth one? So <laughs> after that, we're jumping into a movie from the early 60s of his called High and Low. And this is like kind of like a uh, I mean, it's a thriller. It's about a couple whose son gets kidnapped and them having to work with the authorities to try to get their son back. It's very modern, very sleek. And then one of his final films, the movie Ron from the 1980s, which is it's a samurai movie. It's freaking awesome. Like, I can't wait to watch that one with you, man. (laughs) I will say with this idea of moving into the international film world, do you want me to tell my story 
of the first two foreign language films I ever watched now or later? Save it for later. Okay. But here's what we can tease it. I think I know one of them, and it was the Michael Hanukkah movie Amour. It sure was. And what was the, what was the other one? We can at least say the names of them now. As far as my feet will carry me. Oh, I don't know that movie. German. <laughs> look at me knowing foreign film better yeah. than you, Bob. All right. Well, I'll look it up. Uh, it was. I'll say this. It was made in like 2007. Okay. And it looks like it was made in 1967. Okay. All it's right. incredible. I loved it. After Kurosawa, we are staying in the uh, names that start with KU, and we're going to Stanley Kubrick, a director who famously I have an up and down relationship with and who is worshipped by film bros everywhere. And we're looking at three of the most film bro-y of his movies, uh, but one of them I really, really love. So we're starting with The Shining. A little bit of a controversial movie. We're moving into Dr. Strangelove, which is a really great movie. And then we're finishing it out with Paths of Glory, his 1957 movie with Kirk Douglas, which is probably, if not my favorite Kubrick movie, then it's like in the top two or three. It is, is that the one where they're like uh, ice skaters and they're like competing? <laughs> nope. That's oh, okay. Blades of Glory. Oh, shoot. Darn. Uh, so close. It's really funny. <laughs> the movie that you choose to make comments about and like get snarky with it's always the movies that are like about the holocaust or like like you don't know what they're about and then you're like oh, i'm gonna make a joke about this movie and it it backfires a hundred percent of the time i mean Brad. if it helps at all our audience knows that i've never seen these movies before so and therefore you have license to just you know rip on anything i want yep yes <laughs> is paths of glory about the holocaust no it's about world war one oh so equally bleak. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 1917. And, and from there, we're going to be watching movies by William Wyler, a director who, if you have done any sort of like classic film watching, or if you've been in a film studies class, you know, William Wyler, he's probably one of the most highly regarded directors ever, but it's probably Brad, if I'm being frank the director that the least amount of people listening to our podcast will know by name. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember watching Ben-Hur as a teenager and, and really liking it. Yeah. Um, did, did he do Spartacus as well? No, Kubrick did Spartacus. Really? Yeah. Oh, we'll talk I about that when we get to Kubrick. Did not know that. Yeah. I remember, I remember watching Ben-Hur and then Spartacus like kind of back to back when I was like 15, 16. Oh, gosh. So I think that they kind of like stuck together in my brain for me. Yep. I am excited to return to the world of Audrey Hepburn. Me too. But before we get to Audrey Hepburn, there's a movie after Ben-Hur. It's the best picture winner, the best years of our lives, which is, again, probably in my top, like, I don't know, 30, 40 movies ever. I love the best years of our lives. It Do came you out just have like an encyclopedic, like at any moment you can just like shuffle through like the, like it's an old rolodex pretty much okay so the best years of our lives is the first movie that william wyler makes after he gets back from world war ii and it is a mm -hmm. movie about soldiers returning from world war ii and trying to reintegrate into small town america and it is like it is heartbreaking and it is like such an indictment of this idea of like 
you know, uh, suburban America and like working at the soda shop. And but it's also so heartwarming and such a like an earnest movie. It comes out the same year as It's a Wonderful Life. Mm. And again, Frank Capra also coming back from World War II. And they are such a great pairing of movies to put together. Best Years of Our Lives is a movie that like at five different points in that movie, I'm just in tears. And it's not because it's like so heartbreaking. It's just that it is such a sincere, earnest movie. I'm really excited for you to watch that one, Brad. Was that one of the movies they talked about in the the Netflix documentary? Yes. Um, five came was, back. Five came back. And yeah, that yeah, was, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure I, I told you to like seek out that documentary because I knew that eventually we would get around to this movie. And it's like, that's like required reading before we go yeah. into watching the best years of our lives. Yeah, no, I 100% remember you telling me about that and and really impassionately pleading for me to watch it. And I haven't. So <laughs> you'll get there. But Someday. also we'll get to Audrey Hepburn, dude, because we're watching Roman Holiday, the movie that put Audrey Hepburn on the map. Yeah, I was going to say we've only done charade of hers. You know what? I was like. You know, what's it called? The Mandela effect when you think yeah. that something I thought we did My Fair Lady on this podcast and we haven't mm. done My Fair Lady yet. No, we need to. So this will be two Audrey Hepburn movies in one season. Uh, we'll be joined for Roman Holiday by a very special guest. Uh, I, you know, and I don't want to give too many clues as to who's joining us for Roman Holiday. But let's just say that this guest probably thinks this movie rules. He's he's like my favorite guest. I can't, uh, I can't wait. I'm just going to put it out there. He's my favorite guest. Wow. Hands down. Suck it. Every other guest on the docket for <laughs> they, this season. They can. They really can. <laughs> I don't know who any of them are. <laughs> <laughs> so after Roman Holiday, after we visit with uh, Audrey Hepburn again, we're taking a hard left turn to close out our season with the master of suspense himself, Alfred Hitchcock. Dude, we we're overdue for some Hitchcock. The crazy thing is we have already done his four most famous films. Yeah. And I've got five more Hitchcocks on the docket for this season. And I've heard and there's, of, I've heard of three of them. So, so these are like most of them are earlier in his career. So, you know, in chronological order, we're going to be watching the 39 steps, which is probably my favorite early Hitchcock. And it was like one of the the last movies he made before he moved to America. Really great spy thriller. It's all about like exposing an underground spy ring. Uh, we're watching Shadow of a Doubt, which is one of his first American movies. And it's again, it's one of these movies that it takes place in small town America, but there's more than meets the eye. Uh, we're watching probably, I don't know, man, like one of my top three Hitchcocks in Rope, which is like, talk about 1917. It's a movie that is designed to look like it was filmed in one shot. And he did really? it in 1948. I think this movie came Ooh. out. I love Rope. Oh, man. We're going to be watching Notorious, which is, again, Brad, a movie that I can't remember if I've actually seen this movie. Uh, it's it's another, like, Nazi spy type movie starring Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman. And it's like I saw it on the list and I was like, it's one of his most highly Let's regarded go. movies. It's got two of my favorite actors of all time in it. Like, we're going to revisit this movie. Uh, you don't need you don't need to sell me, man. Just Cary Grant. We need to watch more <laughs> Cary Grant constantly on this podcast and then we're finishing out hitchcock with dial m for murder one of his last great movies from the mid 50s really really fun movie in that in dial m for murder so yeah man we're finishing the season strong with five hitchcocks in a row yeah can i make a request for a future director oh please 
I this is and this is going to stretch both of us because neither of us like him. Uh oh. Tim Burton. We could do some Tim Burton. I feel like we need to get him in there at some point just for the fact that he is one of the weirdest directors ever to exist in the history of Hollywood. And that's, like, that's very true. And like, Tim Burton fans love them some Tim Burton. Yep. 100%. So, and that, and right. that way we'd, we'd get a few J- Johnny Depp movies out of the we way. We get Johnny Depp. We get, uh, you know, <laughs> Big Fish. Yeah, I'd like to do Sweeney Todd. We could work Sweeney Todd in. With See, that's that the too. thing. I, I want to do Big Fish. I've heard good things about that. I want to yeah. do Sweeney Todd. Did he do What's Eating Gilbert Grape? He did not. No. Okay. But he I know did that, do that was Beetlejuice, and I would really like to watch Beetlejuice again. There you go. So, There's yeah. three for uh, season eight. All right. So there you have season seven. We'd really like to know who you're most excited for. I've got some votes myself. But Brad, before we get out of here for the day, we do want to say real quick, that you should join our Patreon. And here is why. I've been talking about our Patreon for seasons and seasons now. However, we're doing something really special with our Patreon starting this season. So we wanted to go back and revisit every movie that we've done in season one of this podcast when we were just little baby podcasters, novices, if you will. And by little baby, he means terrible. Terrible at podcasting. Except for The Aviator. That was a killer episode. That was a great episode. I will say we're only marginally better at podcasting now than we were then, but <laughs> the sound quality has improved drastically. So, <laughs> so, so, you know, way better. You know, we're going to go back and start revisiting the movies from season one, and we're going to release them all as season 10 of this podcast. But if you join our Patreon, you will be getting 10 episodes now of that upcoming season 10 revisit of all the movies from our very first season. So, Brad, we're looking at movies like Green Book. We're going back to Million Dollar Baby, Sun Mm. Like It Hot, American in Paris, Tree of Life, To Kill a Mockingbird, Iron Man, and we're finishing it out with your favorite movie from season one, The Assassination of Jesse James Mm. by the coward Robert Ford. So what we're saying is, in addition to everything else you get with our Patreon, you know, the, the early access to episodes, the special Discord server, Uh, bonus content that's made just for patrons. We're even producing 10 extra full-length episodes this season, which you can get when you subscribe at patreon.com slash film whiskey. Brad, there's really never been a better time to join the Patreon. Yeah. Yeah, there's three different tiers that you can join at. The $3 tier, $5 tier, and $7 tier. And let me tell you, no matter how you join, it's going to be awesome, the stuff you get. So jump onto our Patreon as soon as you can and sign up. It's going to be awesome. So one more announcement before we head out. You probably already have seen this on our social media, but we are moving our new episode releases to Tuesdays. We've been doing Monday for four years. We're moving it one day later in the week to Tuesday, so you won't miss us too much. But just be aware that when episode one of season seven drops, it will be dropping next Tuesday, April 4th. Mm. So We'll see you then. Brad, are you excited for season seven? I know I am. I think that people are going to be weeping next Monday when they find out they don't have their <laughs> their, and, their their Bob and Brad in the morning. And then on Tuesday, they'll be weeping with joy. So, Ooh, you know, let's go. The yin and the yang. Yeah, Bob, I think that season, season seven is going to be an absolute blast. I, I think that moving through people like Charlie Chaplin into Kurosawa. I mean, heck, dude, I, I'm excited for Bigelow. Like, yeah, I've I've not seen Hurt Locker or Zero Dark Thirty, and I think those are both big holes for me. So it, it's going to be a really great time this season. 
All right, we will see you next Tuesday as we kick it off with Unforgiven. But until then, I'm Bob Book. I'm Brad G. And we'll see you next time. Thank you.